This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. Bobby and Pratt brings Nysos outside of them in seven for a half mile. And now it's Nysos and Stronghold who are together on the lead. And back into third is Tejon Pass. Mission Beach has given way, and they're into the stretch. And under a hand ride, Nysos and Flavian Pratt come by the eighth pole and begin to lengthen their lead. Without being asked to run, Nysos by three, Nysos by four, Nysos by five, Nysos in the Bob Hope wins with style. Looking good. Won it easily over Stronghold and Tejon Pass in a final time of 121.71. Nysos making it look easy in the grade three Bob Hope at Del Mar last November. Larry Colmas had the call. The son of Nyquist is one of several top three-year-olds remaining with Hall of Fame trainer Bob Baffert despite not being allowed to compete in this year's Kentucky Derby. Dale and Tim weigh in on those decisions. Plus, would it be right or wrong to assume the Derby winner is racing somewhere later today? And have we already seen the top feel-good story of 2024. Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf rider Tim Wilkin and all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu equine. A huge weekend of thoroughbred racing, four derby points races, multiple Oaks point races on the docket, and several other really good stakes across the country. And guys, I thought it would be fun to start with a couple of rounds of a game that we like to play every once in a while here on the show that I call like it, love it, or hate it. So I will pose a couple of topics to you. You guys will tell me if you like it, if you love it, or if you absolutely hate it. And we'll start with this one. The deadline for all derby hopefuls trained by Bob Baffert to be moved to other trainers, came and went this past week. The owners of many of those horses, which include grade one winners, Muth and Prince of Monaco, have drawn a line in the sand, opting to keep their horses with Baffert, which in all likelihood is going to prevent them from competing in this year's Kentucky Derby. So I'll ask you, do you like, love, or hate this stance taken by Baffert's owners? Dale, let me start with you on this one. I like it. I mean, it shows some loyalty to him, and he he got him to this point. And it's, at this point, it's just become a grudge match between him and Churchill. I think Churchill, I've said many times, needs to drop it, get over it. He did his time, let him back. Uh, here's an interesting scenario to think about, though. What if he wins and all the preps out there, what if he runs first and second in the Santa Anita Derby? Those points are not given to the horses that run second or behind him. They're just They just disappear. We could have a Kentucky Derby with no California horses. I, I love it. It's uh, like Dale said. It's it's the loyalty factor, and these owners are saying enough is enough. They're, this guy, Bob Baffert, has served his time, and it's it's time for Churchill Downs to get over this uh, power trip they have with this. Um, you know, they're they're making it like they're God. 
You know, they're, they're the god of horse racing. And, and, and I guess the, they can do what they want at their track, but to keep the guy out that is always a major player in the three-year-old division, guy that's won two triple crowns, that's insane. You, you, you want they, 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 they talk about the Kentucky Derby being the biggest race on American soil, and yet they're not allowing the guy that usually is the major player to compete in it. It's just ridiculous, and I applaud the owners for saying we're going to stick with them, even though they're going to end up saying they're, they're going to end up not being able to play in the biggest race of, of the year. You know, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see if Churchill changes their mind on this. I don't think they will, but, you know, I, I really think it's the right thing that his owners are doing that they're sticking with him like this. Let me go back to something that Dale mentioned just a moment ago because I think it's very significant, and I don't want to gloss over it, but Dale, you're saying that if Bob's horses are to win any of the prep races, for example, let's say Nysos wins the Robert B. Lewis today, um, the horse that comes in second, if it's not trained by Bob Baffer, is not awarded first place points because Nysos is still not eligible to earn any points. I was sitting here at uh, Xavier's Smoke Shop smoking a cigar with Scott Hazelton yesterday, and we made a call into Churchill to find out what would happen with the points. So that's uh, that's what they've told me. They said the points do not go to second place. The points just disappear. And just think about that. You could end up not having a California horse. It sort of seems like it watered down the Kentucky Derby. Woo. Yeah, that's huge. That That is a, a, a huge stipulation in this whole thing. Um, so a horse that finishes third, for example, if Baffert runs 1-2, a horse that finishes third is only awarded the third-place points, correct? That's all he gets, third-place wow. points. Wow. Timmy, I saw some things on social media this week after the, the news came out that the owners were going to keep their horses with Bob Baffert, and people were on both sides of the fence as to whether, whether or not this diminishes the Kentucky Derby or – uh, or at least Churchill's position here in their, their fight with Bob Baffert, or if it enhances their reputation that they're saying, hey, you know what, we're still not going to let Bob Baffert compete and we're protecting the brand and we're protecting the Kentucky Derby and the legacy and all these types of things. How do you view it? Does it diminish it or does it enhance the Kentucky Derby? Well, well he's already served his time. Um, what, what else is he supposed to do? I mean, you, 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 you got the penalty, you took it like a man, you served the, the time, now you should be able to go back and, and do what you were doing. For Churchill not to allow that to happen is just ridiculous, and I just don't understand why. It's obviously a personal vendetta they have with Bob. And, you know, to keep the guy – and say what you want about Bob Baffert. He can train horses. He can train three-year-olds. He's proven it time and time again. I mean, this just tells me that – you know, maybe the Triple Crown isn't going to start until the Preakness, and there's only going to be two legs of it this year when his horses are able yeah. to run. They're not a regulatory body. The regulatory body gave him his days. He did his days. It's uh, it, To me, it's ridiculous. And if we're all going to be united and we're going to have one regulatory body and we'll want all the rules the same all over the country, you can't be the same. If you got Heisa doing uh, setting a set of rules, you got to play by those rules, whether you're the house or you're the player. It, it, there's there's no uniformity if, if if a racetrack can come up with house rules or decide who they want in the game or out of the game. It, it's ridiculous, I think, and it's time to get over it. I think it, it drastically diminishes the Kentucky Derby this year, and it may in the future if they're going to stick to their stance. Do you guys see any scenario where over the next 
four to six week, let's say Churchill changes their minds on this and says, look, we, these are big name horses for the integrity of the race, the Kentucky Derby. We need these horses in the 150th run for the roses. Do you see any scenario where that happens? I don't. I think there's too many egos in play right now. Everybody just needs to check their ego and go back to the rules and follow the rules and let Bob Baffert back. I'd love to see it happen. I don't think it will. Um, for the reasons Dale just said, there's, you know, these guys are there. It's, it's their ball and they're going to keep the ball and they're not going to go home. They're going to keep it the way it is. And, um, and it's, it's sad. And it's, uh, and the people that lose out are the horse racing fans. Yep. Well, those are some big name horses that at this point are not going to be competing in the run for the roses. They will be eligible for the Preakness for the Belmont stakes, but not the Kentucky Derby coming up on the first Saturday in May. All right. Topic number two for like it, love it, or hate it. Churchill Downs also announced this week that they will be drawing the fields for this year's Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby on the Saturday prior to the race, the full seven days out. For the first time ever, the draw will be open to the public as part of the opening night festivities of Churchill Downs Spring Meet on Saturday evening, April 27th. Tim Wilkin, like it, love it, or hate it? Uh, hate's a strong word, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm piling on Churchill Downs, but I don't like it. Um, I think the draw should stand on its own, just like I think opening night at Churchill Downs should stand on its own. Uh, if you have the draws, I, I don't know how they're going to schedule these draws. Is it before the races? Is it during the races? Is it at some point in, during, after the races? Um, I think that uh, it, it'll take away from opening night at Churchill Downs, and I think that uh, I understand why they want to do it on Saturday. They want to give people another couple of days to be able to handicap the race, but um, to me, it just gets lost. I remember when they had it years ago down at Fourth Street, Louisville, and I think the public was allowed to hang around for that, and it was uh, kind of a little Mardi Gras kind of feel to it. Um, yeah, I'm all for letting people, letting the general public be part of stuff like this. But for this, I think for this, I think that uh, the Derby draw and Oak draw should stand on its own and, uh, and not be held uh, during the races. Well, I disagree with you, Tim. I, I love it. I think that it's going to be a good add to the night of opening night. I think it's a, a good concept. They're going to do it during the races, for what my research tells me, and they're going to, you know, to be on the big board. Everybody can watch it, and it's not going to be stuck in the back corner with just the owners and trainers participating. I think it's a good thing. I like it. I, I love it. I think it's going to be really good for the opening night. It'll add to the festivities. Opening night there's always fun. You know, they have a great night racing anyway. And, I think this will just add to it. I just wish Baffert was going to be able to be a part of it. Well, Dale, we'll just say, I'll just live vicariously through you, and you'll have, you'll have to have a horse in it for this year. I hope one comes around. You never know. Still, still got time. Yeah, you do. I'll say this. I love that they're going to draw the races a full week out, um, especially for a race of this caliber. We see it happen with racetracks like Gulfstream Park, for example. But when you have a race like the Kentucky Oaks and the Kentucky Derby, um, man, getting those PPs in your hands as early as possible, to me, I, I think that's a fantastic move on their part. I, I love that part of the story. I do, too. I like that part. But I just don't like the part of it being involved with the opening night at Churchill Downs, the races that are going on. I just don't, I don't like it. 
Sue me. I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. All right, let's move on. That was like it, love it, or hate it. I'll throw some more topics at you guys in the future, and we'll see if you guys like them, if you love them, if you hate them. Uh, We'll see if Dale and Tim end up on opposite sides of the fence again. It's always fun when they do. But I have to get to topic number two here, uh, subject matter number two, if you will. Uh, It comes via email from Brad in Winnipeg, Manitoba, who is a longtime listener of the show, really enjoys it, and he sends in a couple of questions for you guys. He wants to know, occasionally when he's watching races, he will notice that a rider appears to stop riding their horse prior to the finish line. And if this is determined to be true, how do stewards handle those situations? Are are riders fined? Are they suspended? Are, Are they given days? Brad wants to know, what is the protocol? Dale, you want it first? Yeah, I mean, if they just if they if it's a flagrant thing where they just stand up and quit riding before the wire, then then there have been riders suspended. There's been riders fined. All the above. What he's talking about, Brad. It's a good question. But a rider can always say he didn't like the way his horse was moving, or he thought he was out of horse. There was no reason to abuse the horse. You're in a catch twenty two in that spot. But you know, there's some riders that have uh, notoriously have done that over the years, and and. Not to mention any names, but it's happened to me a couple of times, and it's very frustrating. But when they come back and say, I didn't like the way he was moving at the end, I eased up on him, you really don't have a big argument. But there have been cases where jockeys have been penalized for doing that, especially if they just get to pose and they think they're further in front than they are, and they get to pose and put a picture, and they get nailed on the wires. They'll they'll find them, and they should. I mean, they should. A lot of money riding on it. Is it only a fine, Dale, or is there a suspension and days given as well? That's just up to the stewards what they're going to do. They're, I think if it becomes a, a habit of a jockey, they'll suspend them. And, you know, they'll do it all, whatever it takes to, to get them to not do it again. And if it, if it looks like the horse is fine, they should have kept riding them. Yeah, they'll, they've suspended jockeys before. Tim Wilkin, what do you think? You know, when there's a, when there's a rider that's a little, do a little showboat and coming down the lane and, like Dale says, he's getting ready to, have his picture taken. He does, uh, you know, stands up and starts waving his whip and stops riding. If he gets nailed on the wire, yeah, that's bad. That's real bad. But if you know, you got a guy that really thinks that there's something wrong with his horse, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, riders that, uh, you know, in, in the last uh, hundred yards or something like that are are starting to, you don't see it that much, but. You know, you know, you see it at the top of the stretch. Horse is, you know, is is you know struggling, and a, and the, the conscientious jockeys will wrap up on them. They don't want to hurt the horse. They don't want to if they feel something. They don't want to get the horse hurt. And I get that, um, but I guess there's there are instances when you know jockeys don't do make the right decision, and yeah, they should be penalized for that. When, how, you know, closely, uh, how closely, guys, do the stewards look watch for that during the running of a race? Oh, they watch close. They watch everything. You know, there's there's uh, one watching live, one watching TV. You know, they they keep a close eye on everything going on. Yes, so if they, they see that, I mean, they they make they, there's nothing they can do to make a change for the gambler, but they can call it. And then the day after a race, if they have anything suspicious, if there's an inquiry, if there's bumping going on, they have what they call films the morning before. The next day's card, all the jockeys have to come in and they watch the films with the stewards and they discuss what happened. And that's where they would take care of something like that. They used to call it the movies. 
Yep, they go to the movies. Yep. Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. We appreciate it. He has a part two for you guys as well, and this one uh, much more lighthearted, if you will. He wants to know some of your favorite tracks to watch and to bet their races. And, Dale, I know you're not a, a huge better, but what what tracks do you enjoy watching? I like Keeneland, Churchill Downs. Uh, Saratoga I like if you get a good seat. It's always crowded, but Churchill's my favorite. I've been in Section one 319 since I can remember, since I was a little kid. I used to watch on the steps, and finally they gave me the box there on that corner where I always stood. So there's no place like 319 at Churchill Downs. Timmy? I love watching races on the roof at Saratoga. I think, Dale, I brought you up there once, didn't I? Oh, yeah, I watched the race with you up there. That's a nice I mean, spot. That, that, that is the greatest view at Saratoga. To um, you know, I mean, you've got a great view of the whole track. And um, there's nothing like that. I wish that uh, everyone could experience that, but obviously they can't. And, you know, I like watching races at Pimlico. People might think I'm crazy, but, you know, there's something about that old barn that uh is really appealing to me watching the, the horses run down that historic stretch and um you know i could name probably five six seven other tracks but i'm going to leave it at those two right now but one that's really coming up uh in my standings is kentucky downs i love that place even though it's hard to uh really get a a feel of what the riders are doing because you're so it's so far away until they're coming down the stretch, but I love Kentucky Downs. Timmy, have you ever had the chance to, you talk about being on the roof at Saratoga, have you ever had the chance to watch a race standing outside of Kurt Becker's booth at Keeneland on that platform that overlooks the rolling hills in the countryside in Lexington? I've been to Keeneland, but I've never had that great opportunity. I'm sure it sounds like you have. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And the other one that stands out to me we haven't mentioned yet is Santa Anita. Um, I Ooh, yeah. sitting there looking at the San Gabriel Mountains, especially when they have some snow caps at the top. Just incredible. Uh, that to me is one of the greatest venues for thoroughbred racing anywhere in the world. Santa Anita is a good one. That is a great one. I haven't done it enough, but I, I love watching race. Santa. You know where it's difficult. I think Kentucky Downs is a difficult place to watch a race because they are so far away. But Belmont's yeah. a difficult place to watch a race. I mean, that's, those mile and a half racetracks are just hard to see. And the, yeah. the television coverage is getting better and better. So I like sitting in the boxes at Belmont. you got the TV in front of you where you can do both. But when, when the racetrack's that big and they're that far away, it's hard to watch them. It is. And that Kentucky Downs, man, when the sun hits when the sun hits that track at a certain time of day, you can't see anything. Yep. I can't believe Aqueduct didn't make your list, guys. <laughs> I love Aqueduct. <laughs> you know, I've actually, in all honesty, I've never been to Aqueduct. That is one track I've never been to. Uh, well, you're missing out. You, you go there in the middle of the winter, you got hardcore gamblers, and uh, it's just a fun atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. You it, better it run good, like though. Be they'll, yell at you, they'll yell at you afterwards if you don't run good. Don't let a jockey <laughs> stand up for the wire there. He will get crucified on the way back. <laughs> yes, he will. Yeah. Did, did you ever run into that, Dale, when you ran a horse in New York at any of the racetracks? Because let's face it, New York horse players and sports fans, they're a, a hardy breed. They'll they will give it to you. I think I told a story on here before of Saratoga walking back and the guy's yelling down at me, go back to Ellis Park where you belong. You're burning up money. And I went looking for him. I was mad. I wanted to fight. And I tell you, the next race, Wayne Lucas walked into the, 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 
the uh, racing officer, and he said, he's laughing. I said, what's so funny? He said, the guy yelled down at me, go back to quarter horses. You're burning up money. I said, well, that was the difference in our maturity, the way he handled it and the way I did. Probably the same guy. It was the same guy. It had to be. He said the same exact thing to both of us. Evidently, he bet on both of us, and we didn't run any good. I want to get that guy on the show. Well, I know, yeah. That's a true New Yorker. <laughs> we'll ring the bell. Ding, ding. We'll right. have uh, – Dale in one corner and that guy in the other corner will be fantastic. A steel cage match here on the, on I Ask the Answer. All right, we have to get to our right or wrong segment here, guys. A couple of topics for you here um, as we welcome our good friend Nick Zito to the program. And you get to tell me if the following statements are right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? Tim, I'll come to you first on this one. The winner of the 150th Kentucky Derby is racing somewhere today. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? I think you're wrong. Um, it's February 3rd. Um, there's a long way to go to the first Saturday in May. And I know that fierceness is running in the Holy Bull. And a lot of people have fierceness on top of their list for, you know, the favorite for the Kentucky Derby. And he's... He deserves it after winning the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, but we know that history has not been kind to winners from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You know, there's 38 horses running in the southwest of Withers, the Lewis, and the Holy Bull. I just think, to me, historically, if you go through all those races, you're not seeing a whole lot of horses that have come out and won the uh, Kentucky Derby. If you started the Southwest, the last one that did it, did it was Marty Jones in 04. Lily T won it. Essential Quality was the favorite. In the, won it in the 2021, finished third. But the favorite in the Derby finished third. I mean, the Withers has never really had a horse that uh, came on and won the Derby. The Lewis, I mean, it's the Bob Baffert Invitational. He's won, won it 11 times, including the last five. He's going to have the big favorite in Nisos today, but uh, you know, because of the gods of Churchill Downs won't let him run, so the winner of the I, I can't imagine the winner of the Lewis is going to come out, he's got three, five at three in that race, I can't imagine the winner of the, the Lewis is going to be the Derby winner because it's probably going to be a Baffert and then you know, you got the Holy Bull we've already talked about fierceness um, the last, there's been three winners, there's been three horses that came out of the Holy Bull won the Derby. Two of the winners, Barbara in 06, go for Jim in 94. And Funnyside was fifth in that race and won the Derby in 2003. So I don't think that we're going to – I think there's some horses, that some good horses will come out of these races and might do some good down the line. But it's still too early for me to say that the Kentucky Derby's, Derby winner is running on February 3rd. I'm going to say that you you could be right in this situation. I like the fact that guys bring fierceness out early. I think that shows a lot of confidence in that the horse is doing really well, and he didn't need a lot of time between the Breeders' Cup and his next start. Um, like you say, you throw out to Bob Lewis, we're probably going to lose that race. And uh, but you could be right. If fierceness is the horse that everybody thinks he is, and I like the fact that Todd's starting back early. I think that's a positive for fierceness. All right, here's one more for you guys. Eight-year-old Henley's Joy returned to the winner's circle for the first time in, get this, four and a half years this past week at Gulfstream Park, ending a 34-race losing streak. If I were to say that story 
should be considered the feel-good story of the year in thoroughbred racing right now. Give him the trophy. Hand it to him today. It's over. Would I be right or wrong? What do you think? Right or wrong? Dale? I'm going to say you're wrong on that one. I'll give him the feel-good story of January, but not for the whole year. Something good will come along with You know, we're not going to have a Cody Dorman story, but I might not ever have one again. But uh, that's a, that was a good story. It does feel good, and we'll give him January, not the whole year. You know, I think that, you know, there's a long way to go in the year, too. This is a cool story. I mean, the horse hasn't won in 1,600 and some odd days, and he comes back and, and wins this race. And the trivia question for this, Dale, you should know this one. Who's the sire of this horse? Hmm, I don't know. You got to tell me. Kitten's Joy. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah, well, then maybe it is a feel-good story of the year. I like it better now. <laughs> I mean, because this horse has run in his career 15 different tracks. I mean, this, this horse goes all over the place. And, you know, the fact that, uh, yeah, to come off of a four-year drought of winning a race and doing it at age eight, um, it's a cool, cool story. Uh, I don't know if this will be, you know, the heart, most heartwarming story of the year. But it's going to be a feel-good story for sure. And I hope hope this horse goes on and does some good things and stays healthy for number one. And, um, you know, it's good to see the old-timers still being able to do it. Even yeah, though started his career with my, my dear friend Jeff Bloom and his Bloom Racing Stables and then uh, was sold and uh, or claimed and went on to uh, other things. But Henley's joy returning to the winner's circle after four and a half years is certainly one hell of an accomplishment. Congratulations to all the connections of the eight-year-old. Uh, wonderful story coming out of Gulfstream this past week. We'll bring right or wrong back on the program next Saturday, as we do every week. But, guys, we're closing in on our one final point of the week. Before I get to that, Dale, quickly, I wanted to ask you about a horse that you can recall that has made a big comeback like that. Hadn't won in a while and then all of a sudden jumped up and put it all together. Can you recall one of those in your career? Uh, John, not in my personally that I haven't had one I can think of, but you know, John Henry was off for a while and nobody thought he was coming back. He came back and won and fell to the great sea biscuit. Everybody wrote him off once and he came back. Everybody seen the movie or read the book and, and he came back and won the Santa Anita handicap. So I don't know if it was that long. Three years is a long time in a horse's life. Yeah, DeHaas was a cool one, too. Well, it is yeah. a cool story. We always end up talking yeah. about DeHaas when we talk about these things. We do. He always comes That's to mind. But Henley's Joy, yeah. Henley's Joy, what he pulled off was pretty remarkable. So that, that was really yeah. cool. All right, it is time in the show to wrap it up, and we have Dale and Tim making their final point of the week. Timmy, going to come to you first with this one, my friend. What is your final point on this Saturday morning? Well, I've been doing a slow burn here for a couple months now, waiting for my chance for redemption. And I want to know when we're going to have this next challenge of our horse stables. Be careful what you wish for, Tim. Be careful no, no, what no, you wish no, for. No, 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 no. You, you sit back in the back row right now, my friend. I want I want <laughs> you bad. All right. And I want to know when we're going to do it. Yeah. Dale, he's going to knock you all the way back to Ellis Park where you belong. <laughs> exactly. Let's wait till Ellis starts. I'll be good down there. I'll pick all claimant horses. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that, Timmy. We'll, we we're going to bring it back. We're going to have the showdown three. And, uh, boy, Dale's going to take some beating, though, after that wide margin victory 
in the showdown too. But hey, the series is tied one to one, so this is the right. the rubber match. That's what it yeah, should be. Did. That's what it should be built at. Yep. Sammy did win the warm up. <laughs> the warm up. Go back to Ellis Park. Come on. <laughs> Dale, what's your final point of the week? My final point is, you know, the Jockey Club, and I've been as critical of them as anybody, but they've hired McKenzie Consulting Firm to do a major study on catastrophic injuries in our game and try to figure out what we can do to help. I think that's a great thing, and I think if you, whether you love, like, or hate the Jockey Club, everyone should get involved. They will give you a call, talk to them. Let's, uh, let's let them do some work and see what happens. I think that was an interesting thing. Anything we can do for horse welfare is certainly certainly a good thing and certainly welcome. Guys, I really appreciate it again this morning. We're going to do it all over again next Saturday. Good luck at the windows, Timmy. And, guys, enjoy the weekend. Dale, go get it done. Let's go win some races. All right, buddy. Talk to you all later. Bye. See you. All right. If you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, just do what Brad in Manitoba did this week and send your question to us, Mike at Horse Racing Radio. Net. You can also post it on our social media pages at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and we'll work it into the show moving forward for you. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. <laughs>